Hi, you're listening to a podcast from the Department of Statistical Science here at University College London. My name is Dr. Nathan Green. I'm a statistician here. I'm joined by Dr. Samuel Livingston. Hello. Hi, Sam. And we're very pleased today to be talking to Professor Tom Fern, also from the department. We're going to be talking about eugenics here at UCL and in particular the connection with the statistics department. But first of all, Tom, could you please introduce yourself? Uh, Yes, Uh, I'm Professor of Applied Statistics here at UCL. I've been in the statistics department for what seems like forever, but I looked it up and it's 1989. Yeah, yeah, it is forever, yeah. Two spells, five-year spells as head of department, but happily I'm free of that now. And My main connection with eugenics is that uh, in 2018, I was invited to join the um, eugenics inquiry that UCL set up at at that point. Uh, I guess the other thing I ought to say is a disclaimer. I'm not a historian. If I know anything about eugenics, it's mainly through uh, having taken part in this inquiry and having done a a bit of reading around it. But I'm, I'm certainly not a historian of the history of science or anything else. Well, thanks, Tom. I was going to say, uh, uh, you were the head of department when I joined a long time ago. But uh, yeah, I think you've been head of department for a bit longer than that even. So yeah, we're we're talking talking about eugenics today. So I think it's probably natural to start with defining it. So can you just tell us what eugenics is, broadly speaking? It will have to be broadly. So being on the the eugenics inquiry was very interesting. We interviewed a lot of expert witnesses. And every one of 40-odd expert witnesses got asked to define eugenics. And needless to say, we got about 40 definitions. But broadly, it's about improving the quality of the human stock by selective breeding, i.e. by controlling or influencing, influencing in some way who gets to breed. And you can have what Galton called positive eugenics, which is encouraging the right, in inverted commas, people to have more children. And you can have negative eugenics, which is encouraging the inverted commas, wrong people not to have too many children. The two enormous problems here, of course, one is you have to define who who are the right people and who are the wrong people. And clearly what happens is you define right as people who look like you. It's it's not entirely about race. It can be about disability, either physical or mental. Uh, It can be simply about being poor and it being your fault for being poor and therefore you shouldn't have too many children. Um, but, But there is a very strong racial element in it. The other big problem is that It's on the negative eugenics side. It's about the discouraging. What does discouraging mean? It can range from sort of gentle discouragement uh, or it can lead to the Nazi death camps, which is a rather very strong discouragement from breeding. So it it has and had pretty uh, awful consequences when people tried to implement it. So that's all a bit a bit of a crude outline, and I don't really want to go into them, but there are subtleties. So what counts as eugenics? So, for example, um, if you give counselling to a couple who are at uh, genetic risk of um, producing off- offspring with inherited diseases, is that eugenics or is it not? Is it good or is it bad? Uh, and you can certainly get into arguments around the margins like that. 
You mentioned Galton there, and I know he's a, a central figure here, but that, like, when did this idea of eugenics, eugenics really become popular, and with whom? Galton in modern times, but the, the idea dates back, I, I think, if, if you try to look it up, the, the texts say that the earliest recorded uh, writings about it are Plato, 400 BC. In suggesting selective breeding of, I think, soldiers would be a good idea. But really, the modern interest was stimulated by Darwin's publication of Origin of the Species in, and I've got this written down, 1859. The ideas arising from that, which are that you can, the way that the pressures of natural selection improve a species, so can we, the idea, obvious idea is, well, a twin idea. One is the way we're running society is maybe taking off some of these pressures of natural selection. And so maybe that's going to lead to the species, i.e. the human race, uh, not improving anymore, in fact, deteriorating. And, and the, the more active side of it is, well, can we apply some pressures of our own and, and improve the, the human race? Where, of course, it doesn't mean human race, it means our particular corner of the human race. So started in the late 1800s, that Galton invented the word eugenics in, and again, this is written down, 1883. And the modern interest began in the end of the 19th, beginning of the 20th century. It started in the UK, it started with Galton, uh, but it very rapidly spread to other countries, notably North America and most of Europe, uh, Australia as well. Is it worth just um, noting who Galton is for some people that might not be familiar? Francis Galton was a archetypal Victorian scientist. So he he never held an academic job, although he had close associations with UCL. And I didn't know where his money came from once upon a time. He certainly didn't need a job. Uh, I think it came from arms manufacturing, gun manufacturing in, in Wolverhampton. And he was a really very interesting person. He was He was a polymath. He was res- uh, responsible for weather maps, early use of weather maps. He was responsible for putting on a scientific base the use of fingerprints in, in crime investigations uh, and, and lots and lots of other things. He, he was really ingenious. He, he, had, he was very capable of thinking right outside the box uh, and coming up with lots of new things. Uh, and one of the new things he came up with was eugenics. And I suppose the natural question to ask next would be, when did eugenics ideas fall out of favour? Well, they haven't entirely, but they they took a big hit in the 1930s when uh, Nazi Germany started getting really enthusiastic about these ideas. People began to see where they were leading. Uh, and a lot of people who had been supporting it had been really interested in it, changed their mind at that point. But it... it didn't disappear. Um, so one, one of the things that didn't, didn't disappear for a long time uh, was forcible sterilisation, particularly of people who were considered mentally unfit to breed. That went on certainly in the US, Canada and Sweden until the 1970s and probably later in some other places, but they're, they're the ones that are fairly well documented. And, and the ideas of eugenics, stroke, scientific racism haven't gone away. There's a really nice book by Angela Saini called Superior, which um, de- describes uh, some of the modern ideas of, of scientific racism. People are still trying to prove there are superior races. 
What's the coming a bit closer to home? You mentioned Goldstone. What's these connections with eugenics here in the UK? Um, well, he he was sort of the high priest of of eugenics, um, and Carl Pearson, um, which is a name that I guess most people listening to this will know, uh, was his uh, very ardent disciple. Uh, and if I've just used a couple of religious analogies, that's because Galton actually described his science of eugenics in religious terms. Um, it, it was the new religion. He used the word jihad, holy war, at some point. About it was. The word fanatic springs to mind. And there were supporters in the end of the 19th, beginning of the 20th century from all shades of the political spectrum. So scientific racism these days is sort of associated with the political right. But then it was from the right and the left and all sorts of people and all sorts of big names. So to pull a few out of the hat, Winston Churchill, John Maynard Keynes, Mary Stopes, Quite a surprise to me that when I discovered that I'd, I'd always thought of her as a archetypal feminist, and, and the birth control was about liberating women to have control of their own bodies. Birth control was about stopping the poor breeding. Basically, she was a eugenicist. She may have done good as well, but it's uh, it's always a bit weird to learn about how blended some of these ideas are and when yes. you look the back on them. But I guess so. The next thing to think about is really as a discipline of statistics, right? We're a department of statistical science and um, everything you've said is very interesting. And it's, it's, not, it's not quite obvious how it connects to statistics as a discipline. So maybe you could explain a bit more about that. Yes, again, the, the, the names are Galton and Pearson. So Galton really wanted to put his new science of eugenics on a, on a firm scientific basis. That firm scientific basis was going to be modern statistics, basically. He and Pearson were interested in things like heritability. So what, what proportion of people's characteristics, traits are inherited and what proportion are um, developed. So nature, the nature versus nurture uh, argument. And between them, they grossly overestimated the influence of nature, i.e. the inherited part of uh, people's traits, people's uh, intelligence, for example people's uh, ability in, in other ways. And the other thing they were really interested in was proving that some groups were different and what different sort of means better. You're sort of trying to prove there is a superior race. And, and to do that, you need to prove racial differences. Uh, and to do that, you need things like sequence tests. Um, and so Galton and Pearson between them invented a lot of the common tools of modern statistics, things like regression, things like p-values, in order to put a scientific foundation under eugenics. They're wonderful tools, they're very useful, they're still used, but, but they were invented for the wrong reasons, some of them anyway. So the, the, the early history of modern statistics is just inextricably linked with, with eugenics. And is this connection, is this why the statistics department at, at UCL is connected with eugenics? Yes. So as, as I said, Galton never had an academic post, but he had a eugenics laboratory um, where they did research into eugenics, um, including measuring lots of people. So they would, they would measure people's eyesight and head shape and all sorts of other things and collect lots of what we now call biometric data. And that was attached to UCL. 
in, in a fairly loose sort of way. More importantly, when for the department, uh, when Galton died in 1911, he left his not inconsiderable fortune, part of it, to UCL, or possibly to the University of London, people seem a bit vague about that, to fund uh, the Galton Professorship of Eugenics. And that was funded at UCL, and Carl Pearson was the first holder of that, uh, because Galton, although he couldn't specify who should get it, he left a rather strong hint. And so the expected candidate applied and got the job. Uh, things, things were a bit looser in those days about appointing people to posts. And that led directly to the foundation of the Department of Applied Statistics in 1911. If it hadn't been for Galton, if it hadn't been for uh, eugenics, there wouldn't have been a Department of Statistics in 1911. And it was the first Department of Statistics in the world. And we're proud of that. But the, leading it was a Galton professor of eugenics. It's quite funny because it sounds like they weren't doing very good statistics at the start. <laughs> it doesn't sound like they were sort of... Uh, following a lot of the principles that we would um, we would like to follow as a discipline today, and getting a lot of things wrong. Um, I, I think yes. I mean, there are well, it's hard to forgive both of them for quite a lot of things. But one of the things it's hard to forgive them for is doing some very bad science. They were guilty of selecting data. They were guilty of defining their variables. I mean, this is this is this is. Social statistics, it's, in, it's trying to compare different groups of people. So you have to decide what variables you're going to use. And they were guilty of selecting the variables to prove what they wanted. And they were guilty of Galton in particular, of making amazing inferences. So Galton was really keen on things running in families. And he was partly keen on that because he was, he was part of a very famous family. One of my... The people who I uh, met on the eugenics inquiry was fond of referring to Galton as Darwin's racist cousin. Actually, he was a second cousin, but he was very proud of being part of that family. Uh, And he studied what ran in families. And he noticed things like um, being a high court judge tends to run in families. The conclusion from that was that one inherits the genes for being a high court judge. Um, It didn't occur to him that there might be other possible explanations uh, for things like that. Yeah, I always thought regression is a strange, I mean, this is kind of related to regression as a name, right, for the, the process of fitting a linear model to data. Ye- right? Yes, but I mean, originally what Galton was looking at was the relationship between the, the heights of fathers and sons. So it was actually regression to the mean. It, it would, if you get a very tall father, the, the son will still be tall, but a bit less tall. Mm-hmm. And, and so the, regret, the, the word regression did have some meaning when it was coined, but obviously it also involved fitting straight lines to things, and that's, that's the bit that's persistent. Well, you mentioned the UCL eugenics inquiry, so I think it's natural to sort of move the discussion onto that at this point. So can you tell us a little bit about what that is and what it did? Yes, it was, it was set up in 2018, and its brief was to investigate UCL's role in the history of eugenics and to make some recommendations about what what UCL might do about that, but particularly about things like renaming buildings. And there's a a Pearson, where there was uh, a Pearson building, uh, the department had a Galton Lecture Theatre, and there are other other things named after them around the place. Uh, It employed a couple of researchers uh, who 
looked into the history and actually carried out a survey which uh, would, with the aim of investigating what opinions about it were about what one should do were both inside and outside UCL. And it took evidence from 40 odd expert witnesses. And there were two town hall meetings as well. And then it reported in 2019 and, and made uh, a number of recommendations, which may be too many recommendations, but, but broadly it recommended that UCL should issue a formal apology. And that's actually happened uh, only recently, it happened in January this year, January 2021. Uh, it recommended stopping trying to sweep things under the carpet, i.e. telling everybody about this, uh, and in particular telling all our staff and students. And so the recommendation that students really ought to be aware of this bit of our history. It was pretty clear on the naming. We should get rid of names of buildings, prizes, lecture rooms, mm. as named after prominent eugenicists. And there were also some other sort of obvious recommendations. Well, one, one was that UCL should support further research into, into the history of eugenics uh, and also that it should... UCL, in my view, is pretty good on equality and diversity, but, but again, the, the inquiry recommended we should be even better be, because eugenics has traditionally discriminated against minorities, that we should be very careful that we're not doing that anymore. It reported in 2019, the, the provost, who was then Michael Arthur, accepted all the recommendations, uh, and just as everybody was getting around to implementing them, COVID hit. Uh, and all the people who would have been in charge of taking this forward had lots of other things to do, like trying to work out how on earth we were going to run a university when people couldn't come to it. Some things have happened. There was a, a formal apology has been made. The Pearson building's been denamed. It hasn't yet been renamed, I imagine. It's, it's quite quick to dename something. You just take the name down. Renaming it involves committees arguing about what the new name should be, I imagine, and so it might take a long time. The department used to have a Galton Lecture Theatre. That's, that's been denamed. And in fact, I saw a photograph this morning of the, the notice that's gone up outside the uh, Galton Lecture Theatre, which is now Room 115, uh, explaining why it's been denamed. So that, that's also happened. Some, some things have happened on the educational front in that all the stats department intake last, last session in September 2020 um, got a short talk on the history of the department with, with a focus on eugenics. The UCL centrally uh, is working on some new material to include in the introductory programme that all new students get an option on during the summer before they come. Uh, they're, they're the things I'm aware of. I'm sure there are other things going on in the background, but um, if it hadn't been for COVID, I might have been prompting a few people to ask what's going on, but it does seem a bit unfair to poke people at the moment because I know how busy they are. Can I bring this back to the statistics? Uh, you mentioned like some of these, the, you know, there's the first uh, statistics department in the world and some of these methods that people are introduced to in kind of statistics 101. So what do you think about and what's the general feel about uh, kind of separating the theory from these historical figures? Like the, the people that have come up with these ideas and the ideas themselves. I yes, again, that was another another area where the different expert witnesses gave some very very varied views. On 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 one extreme, 
oh, we shouldn't worry about this. Um, it was only a little tiny bit of what they did, and, and so let's forget it. Uh, to the, at the other end, uh, we shouldn't be using regression because it was invented by Galton. Um, now, not, neither of those extremes appeals to me. I, I don't personally have a lot of problem in separating people's good ideas from their bad ideas or, or the good ideas from the people. I'm extremely happy to go on teaching regression, despite the fact Galton invented it. I do not want to do it in, in a lecture theatre that's named after Galton. That seems to me the right separation. It, get, it gets harder in some areas like, um, it's going off topic, but you know, what, what's your attitude to Wagner's music? And, and that's, there it's harder to separate them, the, mm. the person and the, and the music. But, but I think in the case of this, the statistics it is easy to so people there were tools that were invented in order to do something nasty but they're still valuable tools yeah i don't think the tools as a neutral it's what you do with them that yeah, I think so. Uh, yes. What about the machine gun, for example? The Kalashnikov. <laughs> yeah. It kind of has one purpose, that. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> Yeah, okay. I mean, I guess I was thinking about mathematical tools. <laughs> yeah, okay, right. Yeah. yeah. Enough, right. That's a fair enough point. I mean, uh, I want to get back to that a little bit um, because I think there's more to be said, but uh, I think before we do, we should. it's kind of wrapped up with the, the, the question of what we do next as a discipline, you know, kind of, we've known this, this has been... Um, this has been something that everyone could have learned about for a long time. It feels like it's only recently that we've been sort of insisting more that people should learn about it. What happens next? Yes, again, one of the things that surprised me, so when, when I joined this inquiry, I tried circulating members of staff in the statistics department to say, you know, did they have things to input? And I was surprised by how many people actually didn't know anything about it. And I think most people knew a bit. There were some people who really didn't know anything and were, were quite surprised and shocked. Um, so I think the statistics community as a whole has, has very effectively swept this under a carpet for a while. Uh, it's been something we don't talk about. Uh, and I think, well, we are changing that. So certainly at UCL we're changing that. And it's happening in other places uh, and it's happening to other people. So it's, it is changing, but I think we need to make sure that it, it carries on being open uh, and that we don't go back to trying to to hide it but the other thing we can do is learn some lessons I and mean, as, as we've already said or as i've already said pearson and galton did some very bad statistics i think we need to be careful we don't do bad statistics and the one thing one of the things we can try not to copy is going into a data analysis with an open mind so it's really easy to see in the data what you want to see uh, to look for the things that will support the theory you wanted to prove when you started and maybe ignore the things that seem to conflict with it. And, and it's quite hard to do that. But, but I think the lesson from what they did, from the way they misled themselves, they, they grossly overestimated the, the effect of heredity. And that was they wanted it to be big uh, because if it isn't, eugenics doesn't work. And it doesn't work. So they had to sort of prove... Heredity was dominant. Uh, I managed to, and, and that's. Uh, we need to avoid doing things like that. And I, I think the other thing, the other lesson we can take from it, or one of the other lessons, is we need to think about the 
where what the research that we're doing might lead, what it might get used for. Even if we're doing mathematics, you can't pretend that the mathematics is completely neutral. It doesn't matter what people use this for. It's just interesting in its own right. So I've got no particular axe to grind on on my example, but it's it's facial recognition. There's a computer application, an artificial intelligence application, machine learning application, which has got enormous potential to be useful, and it's got enormous potential uh, to be be used for some uh, very dubious purposes, for purposes that I wouldn't want to have contributed to. And I, I'm certainly not saying nobody should work on on uh, facial recognition. But I am saying that if you're going to work on that and, and on lots of other things, you should think about whether you want to work on it and not just assume that this this is just research, this is just mathematics. I don't have to think about the consequences because you do, I think, whatever you're doing. And, and maybe in a lot of cases, it doesn't matter. Maybe in a lot of cases, it doesn't foreseeably lead anywhere nasty. But there are a lot of cases where it does. Yeah, I think that's really interesting. I mean, that's another podcast, I think, these applications of, of algorithms and, mm. you know, big data um, and how it's affecting our lives. You know, the black box algorithm making our decision at the bank or uh, an exam mark, you know, it's kind of it's insidious, but, I mean, it's it can be terribly biased and discriminating. Yes, and there's, there's the whole question of, of algor- decision algorithms that mm. are based on the input of data, which tend to reinforce what's been going on. I mean, so a well-known example is is policing uh, algorithms that tell the police where they should concentrate on. Uh, and of course, it will tell them to concentrate on where they've arrested lots of people before, which is where they concentrated on before. And that's maybe because they were racist. Uh, and so it, it embeds racism into an objective algorithm. And, and that's happening to lots lots of these algorithms. There's nothing wrong with the algorithm. It's what you train it on. Yeah, but it's not all bad. I think it's... <laughs> no, 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 it's, no, it's not. But There's lessons. People are learning. It's just such a new field. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And that's a, that's a well-known problem, and, and clearly there are lots of people working on it. So Ricardo's worked on it, for example. Ricardo, Ricardo Silva, you mean? Yeah, yeah. So Ricardo's a, another member of our department. Actually, I see. I wanted to just come back to the the discussion we were having about prominent contributions to statistics, because, for example, the name Pearson. You know, you can't do an introductory statistics course without learning about Pearson's chi squared, Pearson's correlation. We're denaming buildings named after these people. How do you feel about mathematical tools named after these people? Do you think we shouldn't be calling them after who they're developed? I mean. It's a difficult question, right? Yes, that's that's a more difficult one than, than things like buildings. I don't see why they shouldn't keep their names, to be honest. The name's just telling you who in, who invented this. In the case of the correlation, it's telling you which color, correlation it is, lots of them. Um, you could call it product moment correlation, I suppose. And maybe, I don't think one should try to ban that. If, if individual people want to call it product moment correlation, uh, just to avoid using Pearson's name, then I think that's fine. Because with Pearson, you have to be careful because there are two Pearsons. There was KP, um, who incidentally was was christened Carl Pearson with a C uh, and changed the C to a K. And, and Egon Pearson, his son. So the headship of the statistics department was a dynasty. Carl Pearson was head for 20 odd years. And then, then his son was head for, I don't know how many years, but 
certainly over 10, quite a long time. I don't think e Egon Pearson didn't have any involvement with, with eugenics at all. So you can still use name and Pearson if, you, if you're worried about naming. Yeah, yeah Pearson Chi-squared. Don't know. Up to you. Okay. So, well, in the interest of time, I think we'll probably wrap it up. Just to say thank you very much for speaking to us, Tom. It's been massively informative and very interesting. Thanks for your time. Yeah, My pleasure. UCR Minds brings together the knowledge, insights and ideas of our community through a wide range of events and activities that are open to everyone.